And our scripture this morning comes from the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. So it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may have all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He is himself, he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless, irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a minister of this gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Lutheran Church. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. Super glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited because today we are starting this new series, uh, this new teaching series. Typically, what we do here is we go through what we call topical teaching. So we'll take an issue that we're facing in life and we'll teach what the scripture has to say about that thing. There's also a form of preaching that's just called exegetical preaching, um, and that's where you just go through a book verse by verse. And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks until the fall, until our back-to-school Sunday and our fall kickoff, is we're going to just walk through the book of Colossians. 
So we're going to do a little differently than we're used to. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to have a good time walking through Colossians. Colossians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's a very small letter uh, in the New Testament. And what I wanted to do over these six weeks, uh, partly I wanted to talk about Colossians and teach from Colossians because there's so much good stuff in here. But also I wanted to equip you and help you, teach you how to read the Bible for yourself. Because I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't equip you to read and study the scriptures on your own. And I think that there's oftentimes a kind of confusion about the Bible. There's a confusion about how we go about reading the scriptures, reading the Bible. So over the next six weeks, we're gonna get these little, uh, we're gonna go walk through Colossians and as we go through it, there's gonna be just little tips and tricks and some things to think about as you are reading through uh, the Bible yourself. And uh, Colossians is a really good way to do this because it's nice and short. In fact, I timed myself this week. It took me 15 minutes to read Colossians. So it's a very short book, just four chapters. It is a little dense, so it does take a little bit of time, but about 15 minutes to work through Colossians, which is really nice because guess what? I bet you could find 15 minutes in your day to read through the whole book of Colossians. In fact, you can probably find 15 minutes three times this week to read through Colossians. Or if you're really you know, all about it, you can find 15 minutes each day to read through Colossians, which I would encourage you to do so. As often as you can, read through Colossians over the next six weeks, again and again and again and again. Read it over and over and over again. It only takes 15 minutes. Now you might be asking, Eric, why are you telling us to read the same little book over and over and over again? I don't know if you're actually asking that, but I hope that you are because I have an answer for you. Why we're reading through, why I would encourage you to read through the same book, the same little book, again and again and again. And the answer is, is because God tells us to. He tells us to in Psalm 1. Now, if you were with us during Lent, during our midweek services, we walked through the first five psalms. So you probably heard this back then, but it's always good to have a refresher. Psalm 1 is this great psalm that introduces and kind of kicks off the book of Psalms, which is a collection of 150 prayers, except for Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is not a prayer. Instead, Psalm 1 is kind of a wisdom saying, or it's kind of a wisdom poem. And this is what Psalm 1, just the first two verses, says. Psalm 1 says, happy or blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. So the blessed person does not listen to the voice of the wicked, does not spend time or walk along the same way that the sinners do, and does not spend time with the seat of those who scoff against God. Instead, what these people do, it says here, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. So the blessed person, the happy person, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, they meditate day and night. Now, the word law here is a Hebrew word, Torah, which the Jews would use for the first five books of the Old Testament, but they would also use Torah as a shorthand to talk about the scriptures as a whole. 
So what they're saying here, the psalmist here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying the happy person, the blessed person, does not listen to the wicked, does not walk in the path of the sinners, does not sit with the scoffers, but instead they love and delight in the scriptures of the Lord, and on the scriptures they meditate day and night. Now that word meditate for us in the 21st century America, that's kind of a... I mean, I guess it's more familiar now, but typically when we hear the word meditate, uh, maybe it has connotations of uh, maybe more spiritualism, new age kind of practices, maybe some Buddhist meditation, some transcendental meditation. The word meditate here in the Old Testament is a word, uh, and the Hebrew word is haggah. So now when you're at your cookout or when you're out grilling or with your family, you can impress them by telling them you know two Hebrew words, Torah, and Haggah. And Haggah means to meditate or spend time with or to mutter repeatedly. And there's actually three really interesting uses of the word Haggah. Uh, three uses that seem a little strange to us, but I think actually unlock the meaning of it. Uh, and in the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, Haggah is used to describe a bear eating food, a lion over its prey, and a mother dove as it sits over its nest. And Haggah is the noise that the bear and the lion and the dove make as they are over this thing. So the bear makes a noise as it eats its food. The lion makes a noise as it consumes its prey and enjoys its prey. And the mother dove makes a noise as it hovers over and cares for its nest. Now, what kind of noise do you think this might be? Another way to think about this is maybe if you have a dog. If you have a dog, maybe you cook a steak and you feed it the steak bone off the table. And what does the dog do? The dog takes that steak bone and it wheels its way over to the corner and it goes, and it licks out all the marrow and sucks out all the juices. And then if you have, depending on what type of dog you have, that dog may go out in the backyard, and what does it do? Digs a hole, puts the bone in the hole, covers up the hole, and maybe later that day or the next day, it digs the bone back up and takes it into the corner, and sucking out all the marrow and all the goodness. It does the same thing again and again and again. Have you ever had a dog that has done that? Has enjoyed a bone and made weird noises as it was enjoying the bone? I think that's the kind of idea that the word Haggah is trying to elicit, is something enjoying its thing, just having just delight in this thing, trying to get as much goodness as they can out of it, like a bear eating its food or a lion over its freshly caught prey. It delights in the thing and it gets as much as it can out of it. It enjoys it and rolls it around and sucks all the juices out. I think that's what we're asked to do here. The happy person, the blessed person, the upright person delights in the law, delights in the scriptures, and day and night this person returns to the scripture and enjoys it like a dog with a bone or a lion over freshly caught prey. And the image here is day and night, day and night. 
over and over and over and over again. This person is delighting in the scriptures. You see, the Bible, the scriptures, these 66 books that we have, they are very old and they're hard to understand. But the person who continually returns to them and enjoys them and delights in them over a lifetime begins to unlock and learn more and more about God's will and God's work and the glory of God's grace for us. And I've actually experienced this in my life. Uh, The very first church that I pastored at, I was a ripe 23-year-old when I was called to my first church in southwest Wisconsin, and there was a gentleman there by the name of Marty. And my wife and I, we love Marty and his wife, Darla. They are just really, really fantastic people. But Marty, when I first met him, he was probably, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Um, So he was kind of going up in years. And he had uh, served in the Vietnam War. He had, uh, he had lived a very hard life. He was a meat packer. He was a cheese packer. He was a butcher. He was kind of the blue collar of blue collar guys. Grew up in this one place, lived there his whole life, like lived in the house that his parents lived in. I mean, he was just the average of average Joes didn't go to college, didn't have any higher education, was just a normal guy. And when I met him, he had uh, spent many, many years with Jesus. He was saved while he was in the service, and he had spent the majority of his adult life, decades, committing himself to every year reading through the Bible cover to cover. Every single year for decades he did this. Now, I was a fresh kid out of college. I knew some stuff. And even to this day, Marty can run circles around me when it comes to the Bible and Bible knowledge and biblical theology. It's not because he has any special learning. He knows how to use Bible dictionaries and concordances, and he uses commentaries. He goes to Bible studies all the time. But what he did right is that over his lifetime, he spent every year dedicating himself to reading all of the scriptures. And he got them. He understood the connections. He saw, he saw the story of grace and mercy that God was weaving throughout the two testaments. And he, had, he unlocked all sorts of things for me as I was talking with him and learning with him and learning from him. And he took his Bible everywhere. I I would be getting out of a meeting with somebody and I would walk out into the main office and he would sit in there waiting for me with his Bible just reading until I was done. And then he would would go and we would talk about whatever because he's also a leader in the church. So this is what he did. He always had his Bible with him. He was a Psalm 1 kind of person that again and again and again, like a lion over freshly caught prey, he enjoyed the scriptures. And he sought them again and again. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend our time walking through Colossians, and we're going to understand what it means to repeatedly go to the same uh, work of literature, the same word of God again and again and again to understand it. So as we do that, I want us to have a couple of principles in mind, okay? I told you this is going to be a little bit different than we're used to, but there are four kind of ground rules I want us to understand before we jump into this series. 
And that's this. Here they are. Here are the four rules as we read and study the Word of God together. The first rule is the Scriptures are God's Word. Okay? The Scriptures are God's Word. They are inspired. They are good. They are true. They are right. They are God's words, both to the people that they were originally written to, because every book of the Bible has an original audience that it was originally written to, but also it is God's word to us today. Okay, this is God's word. Every word is inspired, it is breathed out by God, and it is right and good for godliness and eternal life. Two is God, in his wisdom, chose to give the scriptures in the form of literature, which is bound by contextual rules. So, this letter that we're gonna read today, Colossians, is 2,000 years old. It's old. Now, luckily, the letters are a little bit more familiar to us than some of the other works of the Bible, but the scriptures were written two to 6,000 years ago. They're old and they are works of literature. So they're bound by rules that we find hard to understand, complicated, and not particularly easy for us to wrap our heads around. It would be really nice if God just like zapped a new Bible every 200 years, just to kind of keep up with the times, right? So he could zap something that makes sense to 21st century Americans. That's not how he's chosen to do it. He works within history, he works within the people group, the Jewish people. He worked within them, and it was intentional and purposeful. So God, in his wisdom, gave us his word in these works of literature, 66 books that have rules that we have to uh, submit to. So we have to kind of live in the Bible instead of demanding the Bible uh, work for us, okay? So there are going to be some things in the scriptures that just don't make sense. We don't understand them but it takes time. We know that there is no uh, confusion or dishonesty with God, so we know that the scriptures weave together well. It just takes time for us to work through that and to submit ourselves to it. Rule number three, God in his wisdom gives us truth about himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus in this contextual literature. Scriptures are good to know who God is and how he works. That's actually primarily what scripture does for us. It tells us who God is and how he works. And then rule number four, God in his wisdom gives us wisdom and guidance for life in this contextual literature. The scriptures are not dead. They are not useless. They are living and active and they're good for us to read. And they do give us wisdom and guidance and how to navigate our lives, even if we can't reference, okay, well, I'm going into bankruptcy, so let me reference just the right book to know how, what to do in case of this, right? As we read it and reread it and think through it, listen to the stories again and again and again, it gives us wisdom for how to live and operate. So those are the four basic ground rules. We feel good about those, kind of make, make sense? Okay, I don't see you guys like glazed over a little bit. We're going to jump into the scripture now, all right? So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you to get the Bible. If you have your own Bible, great, grab it. If not, there are some Bibles in the seats underneath the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. The book of Colossians is in the New Testament, which is the back half or the back third of the scriptures. And Colossians is like pretty close to the end. So in my Bible, it's kind of split like this. 
I have this whole big chunk in front, and then I have this little bitty bit at the end. So you're gonna get to the New Testament, you're gonna go past the Gospels and Acts, then you're gonna get to the letters, Romans and all those, so you're gonna keep moving on, and Colossians is tucked back there in between Philippians and one and two Thessalonians, okay? It's about two pages in my Bible, one, two, three pages in my Bible. So it's gonna be easy to miss. Now I'm gonna, now that you guys are searching frantically, I'm gonna help you guys cheat. It's on page 155 in the Pew Bibles in front of you, 155. Is that right, Danny? Okay, he, Danny had to help me out last service because I didn't, I didn't look that up before we got going last service. Uh, 155, so now that you guys have frantically looked, I'll tell you the, the page number. So this is Colossians, and we're gonna jump right in to verse one. Um, uh, I believe, just like I said here, that God gives us the scriptures in this literature that's contextual, and I think that we can find everything we need from the text itself. Now, certainly commentaries and background information, that's helpful, but I think that the text itself will tell us exactly what we need. So we're just gonna jump right in with verse one of chapter one, and it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we're gonna stop right there. Two verses in and we're already stopping, all right? So we have this first two verses, and as we read through this book, what is these, what are these first two verses, they make it sound like it's something, right? Makes it sound like it's maybe a letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in Colossae. This is a letter. And it's a letter written by who? Paul and Timothy. They wrote this letter to who? To the saints. That's what they called the church before, uh, before the Christians really, we had a name Christian. Uh, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. So now we already know who wrote it, and who it's to. We're doing great so far. This, we're getting some good information so far, right? This book was written to the Colossian believers, so we know that this book probably is gonna deal with the life of Christians or the church. It's gonna, it's gonna be kind of in-house. We know that this letter probably isn't designed for those who are not Christians. Uh, this is probably for those who are believers. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not benefit for non-Christians to hear here, but for the most part, this is written specifically for the believers. And Paul and Timothy wrote this uh, to them. So now that we know that it's a letter, we can actually pause, and I'm gonna, this is gonna reveal the curtain a little bit. We're gonna open up the curtain and do a little revelation here. That as you read through the scriptures, you're gonna start noticing some things. You're gonna start noticing some patterns. And especially as you read the letters, you're gonna notice that there are some conventions that kind of ruled letter writing at this time, and especially letter writings to, uh, letters written to the various churches. So typically, when a letter was written, what we find is that the first half of the letter is pretty heady. It's about God and his work, and oftentimes, this is the part that's kind of difficult to understand and follow Paul's argument, but again, the letters, actually, we have a benefit here, because this is gonna be the most familiar to us as 21st century Westerners. This is gonna feel like it makes the most sense. Paul's making an argument, he lays out his argument, it's very clear to kind of just find the, the, the beeline right through it, 
And so we kind of know that first half, he's going to be laying down the foundation from a theological perspective. He's going to be talking about God and the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He's going to be laying down this foundation. And the second half, generally in letters, is very practical. So here's what you do because of it. And typically in letters, as you read through these, you'll see this. You begin in the middle of the letters to see a lot of this word, therefore, or so. And that kind of indicates that Paul's making an adjustment here from laying down the theology to laying down the practical how to live this out. And actually, if you just flip the page over in Colossians, if we're looking at Colossians 1, if you just flip it over, and if you scan the page, you'll actually find right at chapter 3, there's this little word, so. So. That's one of our key words. So it sounds like so far... This letter is kind of following some basic conventions. If you scan through Colossians, you kind of see the first half is theology, the second half is practical living, and it seems like chapter three is this hinge point. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. He's kind of making that change. So we can see here that this is a letter, and it's kind of a typical letter. So, so far, so good. Two verses in, and we found a lot of information already that's going to be helpful for us here. So let's keep rolling through Colossians. So go back to chapter 1. We're actually going to skip over verses 3 through 8 just because we don't have enough time. Um, typically at the letters, as you read these, you'll find that he does lots of like, hey, you did this, and it was really great. It's kind of this personal connection. And that's what verses 3 through 8 are, these kind of personal connections. He didn't know, uh, it seems like I should say, that Paul didn't know the Colossians personally. He didn't plant the church. Instead, he's like, I've heard all these great things about you. Like, the word of God took root, and it bared fruit, and it was awesome. Epaphras started the church, and he's doing great. And then we get to verse 9, uh, which is where things change a bit from this personal stuff. And it begins this in verse 9. For this reason, the reason that, you know, the Colossians had done so well and things have been so good there. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So this is the first, he's kind of changing his tone here. He's talking about personal stuff, and then he begins this prayer. For this reason, we have not ceased praying for you, and this is what we've prayed. That you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will, in verse 9, and in verse 10, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work. So this prayer that Paul prays, he's asking God to do something in the life of the Colossians. Now this is, we should pause here, because if he's asking God to do something, chances are, throughout the rest of the letter, he's going to try to encourage those things that he's asking God to do. And he lists two things here that he wants them to have. One, in verse 9, is the knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he wants them to know about God's work and what God is doing. And in verse 10, so that you may 
lead lives worthy of this knowledge. That you may lead lives that are pleasing and bearing fruit. So kind of two things. One, to know God, to know his will and what he's doing. And two is to do something about it. To walk in that. To follow up on what God has done. This prayer includes two things. Prayer for knowledge and prayer for integrity to walk in what you know. And as we go through Colossians, again, your first time reading this, you're not going to catch it. You're going to read it. It's going to be fine. You may not catch it the second time or the 12th time or the 20th time, but maybe the 40th time, you might start saying, oh, wait a second. These two things, I keep seeing this idea of knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ and walking in this knowledge. I keep seeing these same two things pop up again and again and again, and they do. We kind of see that these are the two main things Paul is trying to do. He's trying to increase their knowledge and help them walk in that knowledge. So this is important. We stop here, and in fact, this is kind of Paul's purpose statement for the letter. This is what he wants for the Colossians out of this letter. That they may know God, and that they may walk in the knowledge of God and bear fruit. And as we continue on, he switches from a prayer now to a blessing, may. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So if we back up and look at verse 11, may you, this blessing, this kind of works into the prayer, right? So not significant, no significant changes yet. May you be made strong, great. So some more blessing that they are strong with all strength from God's glorious power, that they can endure everything in verse 11, that in verse 12 they can give thanks to the Father who has enabled them to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And then we get to verse 13, and the blessing, uh, this kind of blessing, this benediction he gives, stops. And then he begins talking a little bit differently. He says, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have a change now in tone. No longer is this the blessing. Now Paul's beginning to explain what this inheritance from verse 12 is. He's beginning to explain what Christ has, what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's beginning to explain this, and the first thing he says is he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. A change in tone, so we stop and we look at it. We try to understand what he's saying. And here, this is a really interesting thing. Uh, again, you know, as you read through the scriptures, you'll begin to catch this more and more. And having commentaries and Bible dictionaries and concordances will help you uh, catch these things sooner. Uh, I do believe over a lifetime, you can just read the scriptures themselves and they'll begin to unlock themselves to you. But uh, the concordances and commentaries help us. But there's something interesting here, and that's this uh, phrase, rescued us from the power uh, that word, if you read other translations, can also be like domain or authority or even kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. 
Now again, the first time, second time, 10th time, you won't catch it. But after the 50th time, you'll say, wait a second. I've read Paul's other letters, and I don't remember Paul ever saying anything like the kingdom of his beloved son. That's kind of an interesting phrase. Paul talks a lot about the kingdom of God. He talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of his beloved son is that it's gonna prick your attention and you're gonna begin to hunt it down. You look at the Bible dictionaries, you look at the concordances, you look at the commentaries, and what you'll find out is that this is the only time Paul ever uses this phrase, kingdom of his beloved son. Now, when we come to unique words or unique phrases, they deserve special attention. Because again, Paul is not stupid. Paul is very smart, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes this. So this phrase is intentional. It's on purpose that the Spirit has instructed and helped Paul write it in exactly this way, the kingdom of his beloved son. Does that phrase, beloved son, ring any bells for you? If you've read through or heard or been around the scriptures a little bit, you probably recognize it. This is what Jesus is called in his baptism. He's baptized and the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we know that later in the gospels and the transfiguration, that phrase is used again. Uh, Peter, James, and John are there and God says to them, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. So this should pique our interest because suddenly we have this thing introduced that wasn't there before, this new idea. And actually, there are two new ideas here. One is that he has rescued us and he has kind of picked us up from the power of darkness, from the domain or the authority of darkness, and he has placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And secondly, we have this introduction of this idea of the beloved son being a kind of baptismal phrase. Now again, you may recognize this one time and you think, oh, that's strange. I'm going to highlight it. I don't know if you guys highlight and mark up your personal Bibles. I do. Uh, don't do that to the Pew Bibles. But if you want your own Bible, you don't have one, take the Pew Bible with you and you can mark it up all you want, right? Then you get to keep it. But if you have your own Bible, this is a good place to like put a little star or to highlight or to box the beloved son. Maybe put a little note. Baptism? Question mark. Transfiguration? Question mark. Because it's going to help you as you read through Colossians the 40th or 50th time. You're going to start having the radar go in for this idea. And what we're going to find over the next six weeks is these two ideas being plucked up from one place and placed into another keeps coming up. It actually comes up four times in this little book. And baptism keeps coming up. It comes up like six times. It's a lot in Colossians. It comes up like six times in Colossians. These two themes being placed or planted in the kingdom of God and the connection with baptism dominate Colossians. And you may not catch it your first time reading through, but you'll probably catch it your 50th time reading through. And that's why we need this patient endurance of reading and rereading and rereading and rereading the scriptures. Luckily, we have 
commentaries and dictionaries and concordances and pastors, right, to help us make these connections sooner. So now as you read through Colossians this week, have your little radar dishes up. Keep listening for this idea of being placed somewhere and this idea of baptism, and you see that it's everywhere, everywhere in Colossians. Now, in your Bibles, if you have the, the Pew Bibles, after verse 14, there's a break, uh, maybe a paragraph break or even a heading break, and mine says the supremacy of Christ. I just wanna let you guys know that these headings are not original to the writing. In fact, what this letter looked like was just a papyrus, like a, like a scroll, like a paper, that just was like edge to edge words. Like there was no punctuation and there was no paragraph breaks. It's incredibly difficult to read, which is why I'm grateful that there are smarty pants out there who can do the work of translating and kind of figuring out where this goes. Uh, but just know that as you read through, to not buy too much into the headings and those kinds of things, because they're, they're after, they're not original to the letter, but they help give us an idea. So after verse 14, Paul transitions fully. 13, 14 is kind of this hinge where he swings away from this personal prayer into this work of Jesus Christ. And as we read through 15 through 20, uh, man, it is just this amazing hymn, this like amazing poem about the work of Jesus Christ. And this is where we get a lot of really uh, in-depth, kind of like before Jesus was incarnate, what was he doing? He was holding all things together. He was eternal with the Father, and all things were created through him and for him. All things find their fullness in him. It's this amazing poem. It was probably a hymn that the church sang on a regular basis, and he included it in his letter. We're not gonna be able to get through that piece by piece, but again, as you read it this week, you'll keep reading it. And then we move on to 21 through 23, and he goes back to talk about how Jesus, how God has rescued us, through Jesus, that he's changed our minds and he's changed the way we look at the world. This is that knowledge theme again. We're not gonna dive into that. What I want you to realize though with this first chapter, these first 23 verses, what I want you to grasp though are these major ideas that are gonna keep coming up from verses nine through 14. This really densely packed and he's giving us all the clues for where he's going with the rest of the letter. That he wants us to know God and he wants us to walk in our knowledge that he wants us to understand that God has placed us, he's plucked us up out of darkness and placed us in this new kingdom. And this new kingdom is of his son. And we actually, as we discover later in Colossians, we enter into this kingdom through baptism. That baptism is the gift that we are given. It's the new circumcision, the new entrance into the covenant community. It's a new entrance into the church. And we're gonna keep seeing this again and again and again. So Paul in Colossians is really concerned with making sure that the readers and us understand that our primary reality is Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the one who rescued us. It is his kingdom. He is the beginning and end of creation. All things are made for him and through him. And all things are good because of him. He makes sure of this. He tells us that through Jesus Christ, we have new life. We have a, a renewed way of walking in the world, of knowing him and growing our roots deep and bearing fruit. He's really concerned with this because our neighbors out there, our neighbors, their foundation, their primary reality 
is not Jesus. It's gonna be their career, or their family, or their income, or their history. It's gonna be something that's fleeting, because we know. We know that family relationships change and shift and even get broken. We know that finances come and they go. We know that homes are there one day and not there the next. We know that careers can end quickly. That is not the firm foundation that we need. What we need to understand is that Christ is our primary reality, that it's his world and it's his kingdom that we live in, and that God by his grace has placed us in it, and that we can rest assured, as we'll see later in Colossians, that God makes promises to us, that we get to continue living in this kingdom, this new place that we get to settle and learn and grow deep roots and bear good fruit. Amen. Amen. Well, this time, uh, let me pray for you. Well, Lord, thank you so much for your gifts, uh, your gifts of the word. Um, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for Colossians and uh, the joy that it is. Um, Lord, we thank you that you have given us this means by which to know you and to gain wisdom and guidance in our life. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us not become deaf to it, but be attentive to it. Uh, so, Lord, continue to go with us and give us your grace. Pray this in Jesus' name.